My name is Nathan Iram, the pastor of People's Baptist Church in Folkestone, Georgia. And I'd like to have a little Bible study today. I want to take a look at a subject that I believe is very plain in the Scripture, but something that also a lot of folks seem to not understand. And so uh, that is the idea of, should I go to church? And so I'm going to call the name of this Bible study or sermon, A Case for Church Attendance. Now I'm going to speak very plain in the course of this study uh, because, frankly, I live in a part of the country where there's a lot of hard-headed folks. Now, I love the people that I live around. I am one of them. I was practically born and raised in Folkestone. Uh, I moved away for a short period of my life up to Virginia and then a couple of years in Delaware, and then I came back as quickly as I could because I love this area. I love these people. Uh, but at the same time, I know that in Folkestone and the surrounding areas, there are a lot of hard-hearted people, a lot of hard-headed people when it comes to religious matters. People have their minds made up, and yet very few folks have an open heart to the Scripture. Very few folks have an open heart towards the Holy Spirit to let, them, uh, to let the Holy Spirit lead them and guide them into truth, which is what the Bible says that He's been given to do. And so I hope you listening this morning are not one of those people. I hope you're one of those people who will give the Lord liberty to lead and guide you. So let's take a look at this issue of church attendance. So if you have your Bible, that's great. If not, I'll just read to you and I'll try to give you all these references as we go. But I'm looking in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and I am going to look, start, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. The Bible says Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, let me just give you a brief statement on the context. We always want to look at the context when we look at a verse of Scripture. That's the right way to do Bible study. So the context of what we're talking about is Paul is going through Hebrews chapter 10, and he's talking about, he started in verse 1 saying, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So uh, Paul brings out that in the Old Testament they had all these sacrifices, they had these offerings, they had all this stuff that they had to do, and yet all of those things that they did, none of those things that they did could make the comers perfect. And so he goes through here and he gives a line of reasoning and points out if those things were perfect, if they could make the comers thereunto perfect, then why did he, did he establish the second? That's found in verse uh, 9. He said, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Verse 10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Paul is really trying to give uh, an understanding to the readers of this epistle of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, 
I believe with all my heart that you could give a hearty amen to that. There's no need for you to go down to a church and put a cookie in your mouth and say that that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because you ate Christ, quote-unquote, which you didn't eat Christ if that's what you did, you ate a, you ate a cookie. Uh, that's all you did. But anyways, that is not the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ was made 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the context that we're in in Hebrews chapter 10. And so he says in verse 22, which we've read, he said, Let us draw near with a true heart. That's an honest heart. Joseph's brothers got down there and stood before him, and he said, You're spies. They didn't know that it was Joseph standing in front of them, and he said, You guys are spies. And they said, no, sir. They said, we're, we be true men. We're not spies. We're true men. Well, Paul says here, he says, let us draw near with a true heart. That's, a, that's an honest heart. That's a truthful heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So I hope you can see the context here in Hebrews chapter 10. Paul is dealing with your ability to relate to, the, to relate to God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you're going to come to God, you have to come through the only sacrifice that is sufficient to pay for your sins. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not your good works. Well, if you're saved, I think you understand that. But look at what he says in verse 24. He says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, colon. That's not a period at the end of verse 24. So he's not done with the thought that he just said in verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I have dealt with several folks in South Georgia. I've dealt with folks all over the country talking about, well, I just don't believe that you have to go to church in order to be saved. I just don't believe that you have to go to church in order to be right with God, etc., etc. Now, listen, let me be very clear. You don't have to go to church in order to be saved. That's just the end of the story there. However, for you to say that I don't have to go to church in order to be right with God, well, in sight and view of what you just read, hopefully you, you've read it, I just read it to you, Hebrews 10 verse 25. In order for you to say, I don't think that a man has to go to church in order to be right with God, you either have to be blind, stupid, or just not have read your Bible. Now you say, Brother Nathan, that's, that's a little excessive. Do you really have to call people stupid? Well, look, let's, let's look at it this way. I'm not really trying to be too unkind. I am trying to get you to think for just a second. You have people running, and, and possibly you're one of those folks that run around saying, you can't show me a verse of Scripture anywhere in the Bible that says I have to go to church. Well, what in the world are you going to do with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? 
He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you've got a bunch of churches. I, I, I assume it's this way across the country, but I know it's this way here where I live. You have a bunch of churches where a bunch of pastors are looking at their people and saying, well, you know, people are really tired on Wednesday night, so we're just going to cancel Wednesday night church service. And, and, you know, COVID's really put a damper on things, and so we're just going to cancel Sunday night services, and we're going to do online services. Now, listen, I'm an independent Baptist. You feel like you want to, you know, cancel your service and do online services. You've you got to make up your own mind. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about folks forsaking the principles of, of God that are laid out in the Scripture and trying to justify it with what's going on in the middle of the circumstances. That stuff is incorrect. And some of you folks listening to me, some of you folks under the sound of my voice right now, you're not a pastor at all. Of course, I would say that you're a church member, but if you're on the other side of the fence of this argument, you're not a church member neither. You're trying to figure out how to use the Bible to justify yourself in staying out of church and just quite frankly, with all the charity I can muster up in my heart, you're an absolute fool. All that proves is that you've never read the scripture. We're going to look at some other stuff. And I hope you won't turn me off just because, oh, I can't stand that preacher calling me names. Listen, your mom or your daddy probably called you names. Your grandma probably called you names. And they're probably right about some of it. But nonetheless, all I'm trying to point out to you, all I'm trying to bring out to you is, You've got a verse staring you right in the face that says, you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, I just don't believe a man has to go to church in order to be right with God. You are wrong. That's all there is to it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You say, well, how, much should, how often should I go to church? Well, that's determined as the manner of some is. Now, for years, I've been saved since I was seven years old. As a seven-year-old boy, I bowed my knee at an old-fashioned altar, and I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I've been saved ever since. Okay, well, as long as I've been in church, we have had church Sunday morning. Every church I've ever been in, we've had church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I was raised, thankfully I had some parents that had good sense when it came to church attendance. They just taught me by their words and by their example, when the house of God, when the doors of the house of God are open, you go to church. Well, why? Because we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Well, I just... You know, I think Sunday morning's good enough. Let me ask you something. Does your church meet more than Sunday morning? Well, yeah. Then you need to be down there and be part of that church. That's as the manner of some is. Well, why do I need to go to church? Well, look at the verse. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, all these pastors are sitting around and canceling Wednesday night and canceling Sunday night services because of whatever excuse they can dream up. Well, the Bible doesn't say as you see the day approaching, you meet less and less. 
it says, as you see the day approaching, so much the more. It looks like to me, if your church has services Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that you should probably cancel Wednesday night services and have church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. Uh, well, I know that everybody's going to have a cow with that, but it doesn't make any difference. That's what the verse says. Well, Brother Nathan, I just think that I can get everything from God down at my house. Well, we'll try and hit some of that here in a second. But listen, that's Hebrews 10 verse 25. Back up to verse 24. Look at what he says. He says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When you go to church, well, let me put it this way. When you lay out of church, when you don't go to church, at the very least, at the very least, you are being a self-centered little child. You're a brat. Let me repeat that. You're a spoiled little baby who's still consumed with playing in the sandbox with your Tonka trucks. You haven't grown up yet. Well, what do you mean by that? The Bible says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When you go down to the house of God, if the only reason that you're going to the house of God is for you, that's probably why you quit going. Amen, amen, amen. You went to church so long as you were quote-unquote getting something out of it. And the moment you quit quote getting something out of it, you said, well, I don't need church anymore. And you're a brat. You're just a little child. Because you don't go to church just for you to get something out of it. You go to church for the rest of those people that are there so that you can put something in. So that you can provoke those people to love and to good works. Now let me ask you something. Here you are, you're at a church and you're sitting down at your house on Sunday morning. You're sitting down at your house on Wednesday evening when the rest of God's people are down at the church, wherever they're going to church. Let me ask you something, sucker. Who's provoking you to love and good works? CNN? MSNBC? I, dare, I know YouTube's not provoking you to love and good works. I dare say that your grandma's probably not provoking you to love and good works. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, the only thing that you're getting is bad news, it's all bad, the world's falling apart, this is going wrong, and that's going wrong, and that's why you're sitting in the privacy of your own home scared to death, you're not getting out and going anywhere, and you, you, your mind is just caving in all around you. Amen. Amen. Bible says that we're to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And you do that by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I love, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Lord with all of my heart. Well, I'm going to read you a verse out of 1 John chapter 4. The Bible says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother... Now, Hebrews 10 said that the way that you consider one another to provoke unto love and good works is by not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. 
So I don't believe it's very much of a stretch of the imagination to say that if you don't go to church, you really don't love your brother. You love you, you little baby. Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Amen. I love God and hateth his brother. He's a liar. So you say, I love the Lord, but you don't love your brother enough to go down to the house of God because that's where he is so that you can go down and provoke him to love and good works. You're a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You don't love. Listen, if you say that you love the Lord, and yet that love does not motivate you to love your brother enough to get down there and see his face every time the house of God is open. The Bible says, this is not what Brother Nathan, Nathan says, this is right here in 1 John chapter 4. Don't you want to see the people that you love? Oh, Brother Nathan, I really love my wife. I love my wife too. Boy, I love her. You know what? What that love makes us do, it makes us sit down at the end of the day over the dinner table and it makes us look each other in the face and talk with each other and have fellowship and communion. You say, what's, what's the motive behind all that? We love each other. That's right. I love my mom and dad. They live in Virginia right now. Every once in a while, I pack my bags and drive six to 700 miles to go see them. You say, why? I love them. Every opportunity I get, I get, I go see them. I even love my in-laws. They live up in Virginia too. I really love my in-laws. Every chance I get, they come down and see us. Every chance I get, I try to go up and see them. You say, why? We love each other. Well, you say you love the Lord, and yet you don't love your brother? The Bible says you're a liar. You're a liar. Now, I think that would be enough if we stopped right there, but I'm not going to stop right there. You might turn me off. You may have already turned me off as far as listening to this sermon, but I'm going to keep going. And so I'm going to go over to the book of Luke chapter 4. Now, uh, listen, uh, we are called Christians. If you're saved, uh, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that the, that the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, were first called Christians at Antioch. And so if you're saved, I hope you identify yourself with the lovely Lamb of God, with the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And wouldn't you dare say that if there is an example in your life that you should aspire to be like, it would be like Jesus. I mean, you're a Christian. The original form of that Christian life, that Christian living, is the lovely Lord Jesus himself. Well, if that's the case, I hope you agree with me on that. If that's the case, look here in Luke chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, a custom is a routine, that's something that we do. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, a synagogue, if you don't know, I, possibly you don't know what that term really is, but a synagogue is basically like a church. They didn't have church per se in the Old Testament, but what the Jews did is they built these buildings and they were called synagogues. And on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, they would go in and they would 
read out of the scriptures, uh, the law and the prophets. And uh, the custom still is that it's still an existing custom that people out of the audience could go in and, and go towards the front and pick up those scriptures and read them. And they would read them publicly. And that's how the Jews have their, uh, their religion. Well, Jesus partook in that custom. Now listen, Jesus Christ was sinless. If there's anybody who didn't need church, don't you think it was Jesus Christ? Well, listen, man, if Jesus Christ went to church, what's your cotton-picking excuse? You sinless? No, you're not. So why won't you go to church when Jesus did? Mm-hmm. You say, well, I just, I don't, I can't go to church because of all those hypocrites down there. All those people down there are a bunch of Pharisees. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. And when he was departed thence... He went into their synagogue. Well, here he goes again. He's back in the synagogue. See, Jesus believed in going to church. Mm -hmm. Why don't you? I guess you're really not as much of a Christian as you blow all your hot air saying you are. Matthew chapter 12, when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? that they might accuse him. So they're asking, asking him a question, not really because they want an answer. They're asking him a question so that they can get a particular answer and then say, see, this man's not of God. Well, verse 11, And he said unto them, What, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall in, into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then said he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Now, let me remind you where we're at. Uh, you're saying in your mind, Well, I just can't go down to the church because there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. They're all a bunch of Pharisees. They all got all these rules, and they look down on me. Well, look, Jesus Christ went to church. He went to the synagogue, and the Bible says, I read up to verse 13, next verse, verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Where did they go out of? They went out of the synagogue. You know, Jesus Christ believed in going to church. He went down to the synagogue. Even when a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites went to church with him, Jesus still went. What's your excuse? You say, well, I just can't stand. A bunch of those folks down there hurt me. The Pharisees, the Pharisees, my friend, the folks that went to the same synagogue that Jesus went to, they put him to death. There ain't nobody has put you to death. Again, I say, you're a little crying child who hasn't quit playing in the sandbox. You say that you don't care about what nobody thinks about you, and yet... What people think about you is the reason you've quit going to church and you've gotten bitter on God and you're maintaining, I don't have to go to church. Mm-hmm. I admit to you, listen, I'm a pastor of a church. I've been in church my entire life. I, I fully understand 
that it takes a lot of grace to deal with some of God's people. But I'll say this, God's people are the best people in the world. They're the best people. Some of God's people are not as farther, far along as others. Some of God's people have serious hang-ups. But even with all of their hang-ups, even with all of the hypocrites down at the church, I'd rather be in church than I'd go to some other places. You say that all these hypocrites down at the church are what keeps you out of church. Why don't the hypocrites keep you from watching all these movies? Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. Listen, all these people make their living by being hypocrites. Here's your problem. You're a liar and you're looking for an opportunity to justify yourself for not doing what God told you to do. And that is to be in church. Now you can like that or you can lump it, but that's the God's honest truth. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 15, when there rose up a doctrinal disputation among how people are saved, do, are we saved by keeping the law are we say, or are we saved by grace through faith alone plus nothing minus nothing? How, does, who, how do people get saved? Well, Acts chapter 15, people started coming in saying, you've got to keep the law and you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul the apostle packed his bags and he went back to the church. And Acts chapter 15, the church at Jerusalem sat down and they said, okay, we have to get this ironed out. How do people get saved? And they sat there and they started talking about what God was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing among people. And finally, the pastor of that church, Brother James, stood up and said, Hey, this is what God's doing. This is the way that it is. Well, see, they didn't get that ironed out at some committee. They didn't get that ironed out by sitting in their living room and criticizing what all God's people were doing down at the church. They went down to the church and got it ironed out. See, that's your problem. Your problem is somebody did you wrong, and now you got your feelings hurt, and you ain't going to go to somebody down at the church and get it right. You're just going to sit down at your house and drop out and not do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ before he comes and sit there and complain the whole time like a big, fat baby. You don't, your problem is not that you're unintelligent. Your problem is you're a chicken. You'd rather do what all the rest of the Southerners do in this part of the country and sit around and gossip about people behind their back instead of going straight to them and saying, Listen, brother, I got a problem with you because you did this, and I just really don't understand why you did it. You'd be surprised what you could get ironed out taking care of things that way. Child, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Prove to me that you've got some guts. Mm -hmm. When Paul started going around in the in uh, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know where Paul went to. You look out. Uh, there's more references than we have time. I've already taken more time than I was anticipating. But when Paul started going through, he he went through to all the synagogues. That's where he started preaching. You said, "Well, why would he go to all the synagogues?" Because that's where all the religious people went. All the religious people, the people who wanted to know something about God, 
that's where they all went. Now listen, you're sitting back criticizing folks, all the folks that are down at the house of God, but what are you doing? You say, well, all those folks are a bunch of hypocrites down there. And I know, I'm a pastor, I know that most Christians, I don't believe that most Christians read their Bible. I don't believe that most Christians pray. But I know this, I know this about 98, 99, I dare say 100% of the time, if folks are out of, the, out of church, you're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You say, well, I pray over my food. You pray for anybody else? Of course you don't, because the only person you think about is you. And that's why you dropped out of church, because everything was about you and how your feelings got hurt and how you were inconvenienced and nobody gave you the recognition that you wanted. And so now you're sitting around saying, you can't prove to me from the scripture that a man has to go to church. And yet the scripture itself is loaded with references. It's loaded with principles that prove you should be assembling with God's people on a regular basis. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to turn over there very quickly. I'm going to try and wrap this up. i got just a couple of more references I want to look at. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins going through here and starts talking about spiritual gifts. This is 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And he goes through here, verse 4, he says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And what God does in the, in, among the body of Christ, among His people, is He takes spiritual gifts and He divides them up among all of God's people. And the reason that He does that is so that no one person has a monopoly on all of the spiritual gifts. It's so that no one person can say, Well, see, I have all these gifts. I don't need anybody else. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, just look down here in verse 14. It says, for the body is not one member, but many. Now listen, uh, you, if you've ever had a child before, or, you know, you fellas out there, your wife has had a child, and you're sitting down there at the hospital. Uh, when that baby was born, uh, if that nurse would have brought that baby over to you wrapped up in that thing, and you looked down in that nurse's arms and went to grab that baby, and all you saw there was just a big ear. Wouldn't that be a cause for concern? Of course it would. Of course it would. If you look down in that nurse's arms and all it was was just a big thumb, well, that'd give you some cause for a little bit of worry. You say, why? Because the body is not supposed to be one member. The body is made up of many members. And the body of Christ is the same way. Verse 15, it says, If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? See, what we've got going on in churches right now is folks are looking around saying, Well, I, I can't be this, I can't be X, Y, Z, therefore I'm just going to quit. Again, I say, You're a baby. You need to grow up. Uh, verse 17, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. 
See, your place in the body of Christ is not for your pleasure. It's for God's pleasure. And, but see, if the only person you're worshiping is you, then when you get dissatisfied, you're just going to quit church and try and disassociate yourself from the body of Christ. You're wrong, my friend. You need to get that right with God. Verse 19, And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye, now here's where I'm trying to get to, verse 21, The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, you know who the head of the church is? It's Christ. That verse says that the head can't look at the feet. The feet's probably one of the most uncomely members of your body. That's the part of your body that probably hasn't advanced as much as the rest of you. But the head cannot look to the feet and say, I don't need you. That's a great blessing. That should be a great source of encouragement to you. That should be a great source of comfort to you. That is by far a promise of eternal security. But you sit here and say that, well, I can never lose my salvation. I don't have to go to church because you don't have to go to church in order to be saved. Well, that's true. You drop out of church, you'll still be saved. You'll still go to heaven. You ain't going to get no rewards when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. But see, that's probably something you don't know much about because you don't go to church. But anyways, you, the head can't look at the feet and say, I have no need of you. Well, you back up to the beginning part of that verse and it says, The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Listen, what business do you have as a member of the body of Christ? What business do you have to look at another member of the body of Christ and say, I don't need them. Jesus Christ himself does not look at the most uncomely part of his own body and say, that's the body of Christ. He doesn't look at the most uncomely part of his body and say, I don't need them. Then what right do you have? You're not even the head. It's not even your body. What right do you have to look at other Christians and say, I don't need them. You're wrong on so many levels. You're just wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about the gift of tongues. And tongues were a real thing in the early church. And I am not a charismatic in any way, shape, or the form. I understand that some of you that I'm talking to may come from a Pentecostal background or Church of God, holiness background. I don't have time to go into all of that. So I'm, I'm going to skip over that. You want to talk about that? I welcome you to come by and talk to me. Be glad to sit down with the scripture and try and show you from the book why we don't speak in tongues. However, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's there. And Paul talks about in verse 23, he said, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now here's, here's the only thing I'm trying to point out to you in this passage. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place... That's regular practice. That's what's supposed to happen. He said, if you're all speaking in tongues, 
these people are going to come in where the church is gathered in one place and they're going to say, if you're speaking in tongues and nobody's interpreting, they're going to say, man, these people are crazy. They're mad. They've lost their mind. He said, but if you prophesy, he said, if one believes not, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all, and the secrets of his heart are made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Here's a lost man that walks in and he sees what's going on in the church. And boy, God uses that to get a hold of that fellow's heart and make the secrets of his heart manifest. And he falls down on his face and he worships God. He gets saved. Let me ask you something. You're sitting down in your living room on Sunday morning when you should be down at the house of God, sitting down in your living room or going out gallivanting at Walmart. It's funny how all this COVID stuff keeps people from church, but it doesn't keep people from Walmart. Very interesting to me. You're a hypocrite. But anyways, here these folks come. They come down to the house of God, and they see what God's doing, and they fall down. They see what God's doing among His people, and they fall down on their face, and they worship God. They get saved. Let me ask you something. You're sitting down at your house while... Uh, people are down at God's house worshiping the Lord and you're sitting down at your house. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you ever led a soul to Christ? When's the last time anybody's ever fell down and worshiped God because of what you were doing down at your house in your living room? Let me go ahead and answer that for you. You probably haven't ever led a soul to Christ. And I can say this at least. If you have... Since you've been out of church, you ain't led a soul to Christ. Well, if you're so right, if you're so right for staying out of church, where's all these people that you've led to Christ? You don't have any, do you? I'll tell you why. Because it's not on your mind. It's not something you think about. It's not something that you're worried about. And they... And Paul went on to say, he said, they're going to fall on their face and worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, Paul said, I believe it's in, uh, it might be in second, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Listen, you've been out of church all this time and you're trying to justify yourself in staying out of church. When's the last time anybody ever said of you, hey man, that fellow loves God. Boy, that's a fellow that loves the Lord. You say, well, I don't care what nobody thinks about me. Then why are you getting so upset when people talk about you? Mm-hmm. See, something's not right with your thought process. One more passage, and then we'll close the Bible study for today. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we covered this last night. We covered in our Wednesday night church service, we, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8, 9, and 10, and then in our regular services, we're coming up on dealing with verses 11 and the rest of the context, but I just want to mention this to you. The Bible said uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Then he's got a parenthetical statement, verse 9, verse 10, and then he tells you what those gifts are. Verse 11, he gave some, here's the gifts, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. 
You know what the Lord Jesus Christ gave you after he ascended into heaven? You know what he gave you, Mr. Christian? You know what he gave you? He gave you people. You say, oh, I, don't, I don't believe that. Sure you believe that. You act like you're God's gift to everybody else. That's why you tell everybody what you think when nobody really gives a rip. People just put up with what you've got to say. See, your problem is your God is you. You're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're worshiping the God of your own imagination. You like you. You like your preferences. Yes, sir. But the Bible says that God's gift to the church are gifted men. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We just looked at those things. God's gift to the church is gifted people. For what purpose? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. You know what that verse says? Now, that word perfection doesn't mean sinlessness. It means maturity. It means completeness. It means entirety. It's perfection. You know what that verse says? That verse says that God's means of getting you to grow up as a Christian is in the people that he gave to you. Who are those people? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You've got the apostles laying right there in the book in front of you. If you've got it open, the scripture. You've got the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You've got the apostle Paul to the Gentiles. There they are. You've got prophets. You've got an entire book loaded with prophets. You've got evangelists. This world has seen some great evangelists. Philip was one of those great evangelists. I've known evangelists myself, great people, and some pastors and teachers. You know, I'm a pastor right now, but I have a pastor. I have a man that I go to and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this. You got any advice for me? You say, why? Because that's what God chose to help his people grow up. You push that aside. You push that away. There is no hope for you for ever becoming perfect. You can't grow up. The reason that some of you folks under the sound of my voice, and boy, if you're still listening, I'm thrilled to death that you're still listening. I'm, I pray that God will help you. But the reason that some of you are spiritually immature is because you got saved and you either never got in church and submitted yourself to the ministry of the church or you got saved and you got in church and you submitted yourself to the ministry of the church and then somebody in the church made you mad and so you quit going and said, I don't need those people anymore. And yet, and now you, find, you can't find anything but fault with those people, and yet you've been down to Walmart, and you go down to Burger King, and you've been down to McDonald's, and you've done business with those folks, and those folks have got your order wrong, you've bought bad merchandise, and that didn't keep you at home. You grabbed that stuff and went back and said, hey, you did this wrong. I need to get this taken care of. And yet you ain't got enough guts to do that down at the church house. Listen, I'm saying it with all the charity I can muster up in my heart. I really love you. I care about you. That's why I'm talking so plain to you. I don't want to see you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, flat-footed and bare-naked, nothing to show for your life. I want you to have something. I want you to have a crown. 
I want you to have some righteousness that you've took with you through this life. And you can stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat and say, Lord, I didn't waste my life. I took it and I gave it to you. See, you took care of business with all those merchants, but you ain't got enough guts. You're too much of a chicken. You're too much of a coward to go to the guy that did you wrong and say, look, I think you did me wrong. Can we try to get this settled? You say, well, you know, that guy who did me wrong, they're dead and gone. Or, hey, this guy really did me wrong. And listen, I'll grant you, some folks in church do indeed do people wrong. They do indeed do people wrong to the extent that I would recommend you never go back to that church. But listen, if you get your order wrong at Burger King, at one Burger King, let's say here in Folkestone, that, as a general rule, does not keep you from going to another Burger King somewhere else. Then why do you do that with church? Why do you look at one church and say, they did me wrong, therefore I'm never going back to church? You are insane. You're not thinking about this. The only person, listen, the only person that you're doing wrong, the only person that you're hurting is you. You're killing yourself. God said in Ephesians chapter 4, the way that I'm going to help you grow up is by these gifted men. It's by the church. He said in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Listen, you've dropped out of church. Why don't you get back in church? Why don't you get back in church? So I just don't believe that church is, is just necessary. Well, listen, after all we've looked at today here in this Bible study, I really don't know what to tell you. But I trust the Lord's dealing with your heart. If you're not in church this, this morning... I believe with all my heart God's dealing with your heart. Would you, would you get that thing right? Would you try to make amends and get in a church somewhere and let some preacher preach to you, let some preacher take a Bible and instruct you in the ways of the Lord, instruct you in biblical doctrine, and get those things straightened out so that you can stand before God and stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat and say, God, Lord, I didn't waste my life. I did something with it. How about you do that? How about you do that? Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. If you haven't turned me off, I thank you for listening today. May the Lord richly bless you. Listen, if you're not in church, get in church today. Get it taken care of today. Don't wait. Do it today. God bless you. Thank you for listening.